I can say more than more than anything, <laughs> I, I've learned to take responsibility yeah. for the gift. More than anything else, I think that that has been the most pronounced for me. Welcome to Becoming Better with Jeff Ponders. We deal with who we are, where we've been, where we're going, and who we're becoming to get there. It's time to leave your ego at the door and deal with real life. It's time to become better. Man, it is so good to see my it's big brother. See you too, bro. So welcome to the Be Better podcast. Yes. Welcome to the Become Better podcast. Yes. Where we talk about who we are, yeah. where we've been, mm-hmm. where we're going, and who we're becoming to get there. Okay. And I am honored um, to have one of my favorite people, <laughs> uh, my big brother, Mr. Darnell Kendricks, yes. in the house. Um, Darnell, we met... A long time ago. A long time ago, yes. We both had black hair. <laughs> yes. And now one of us still has hair and the other one is struggling and we both are facing the uh, the salt shaker effect. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, one pass, I'm all salt, you know? No, no, you, 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 still, you still got a little bit of uh, pepper up there. It depends on where you look. <laughs> <laughs> it's like every day it's just, you know. Oh, man, I had a, I had a guest on a previous episode who... Uh, he came in and was excited because he had his first gray hair. Oh wow! Oh like, my goodness! Hey, look at look at this! Look at this! Look at this! <laughs> um, but no, it's it's been it's been cool to you know be able to spend the better part of the last two decades uh, maturing yes. as, as, as brethren. Yes. Um, but man, it's it's an honor to have you here. You yeah. are a, what I consider a cultural savant. Mm. Um, I. I often have described you as a five senses artist. Yes, you have. Um, yeah. You sing. Yes. You write. Yes. You do amazing work in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> um, you have taken up um, visual arts as well. Yep. And your approach with visual art has been one where it's not just about the actual sight of the art, but it's actually about the experience when you touch it too. So it's... Yeah. Um, Again, it's multi-sensory experiences. Even you know, going back to the cooking, like you yeah. cook, and it tastes good, mm-hmm. it smells good, it looks good. The conversation feels good. So now we're talking about getting to like six and seven senses. Now we're talking about feet and souls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, it's it's amazing to mm-hmm. see you as as multi-sensory artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things I, I admire about your work is that your work isn't your art isn't about the medium. It's really about the soul. It's about yeah. you. You are a person who actively cultivates the warm fuzzies of our souls. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been amazing to see your journey and evolution as you've helped fuel and feed mine too. Thank you, bro. Thank um, you. So, man, I, I always start off with understanding how people came to be. Yeah. You know, tell us about the origin of Darnell Kendricks. How, and, you know, so it's, I think about it as to, how did your soul grow? Ah, very interesting. Um, that is an interesting question. Um, I feel at this point of my life, I feel that I am, everything makes sense now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like I just made, you know, crossed over the, the 50 mark. Did and you just so, say that out loud? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm proud of it. You know, there's only one other option, you know. Facts. Facts. I feel like I'm now, it's like everything makes sense now, you know, for, for my life. I just decided 
uh, probably within the last couple of months to actually go through therapy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the reason being, you know, when you think about life and how you interpret it and, um, you know, I've always been the quote unquote healer of mm. the family. Right. I've always been the uh, the healer, even amongst my friends. I mean, even my home has been a sanctuary for others, even more so than it has been for myself at times. Wow. You know, so my thought process is always for others. And I'm like, man, where did that come from? Where did I take on that role? And then, you know, as life happens and other responsibilities come and self-reflection, I was like, man, I've really given all of my life to the healing of others mm. and not so much myself. And so, you know, I've really decided to, you know, it was almost scary because it's like, okay, I sing, I cook, and, you know, I, I do all those other things. I'm an avid reader, too. I love yeah. I love literature. Yeah. Um, and even reading some of that, you know, the Paul Lawrence Dunbar, the Toni Morrison, the, the Henry Dumas, like, man, I'm kind of living my life in a way that they did in terms of taking on all of this responsibility of life and recording it and trying to alleviate. I was like, am I doing the right thing? Mm. Am I doing the right thing? Or am I balanced is the bigger question. That's a good word. And then I don't want to, I don't want that, that balancing to uh, prevent me from continuing art and continuing expression. I don't want uh, a healed, more balanced me to mean I'm self-absorbed and, you know, I, I, I live life for me. To put it real short, because I don't know how long our podcast is, <laughs> uh, I, I feel that the soulfulness has come from my love, my love for my people, yeah. my love for my family. I think that that, and I'm talking about the family at large, the, yeah. the human family. So I think that that's where it comes from. Well, tell, tell me about your, your 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 blood family too. Like yeah, growing up because you you grew up uh, on the West Coast, right? Yes, California, Sacramento, California. Yeah, yeah. So, how, how many siblings? Tell, tell me what it was like growing up in Sacramento and <sighs> finding your way from sunny California to uh, yeah, whatever we want to call Michigan. Sometimes. Yeah, the, the Soul Town. Yeah, <laughs> Sacramento, California was kind of like uh, although it was home for me, I never felt at home there. Mm. If that makes sense. Yep. I grew up, um, mother and father, eight siblings. I was part of the second batch of kids. So I'm the oldest of, you know, the last batch. Sacramento, I always felt like I was passing through. Mm. Uh, when I was in my early 20s, I moved to the Bay Area, which was more of my, like, it was more soulful. You know, it's more kind of an urban sort of vibe. I stayed with my grandmother from the age of 20, I think I was 21 through 27 when I moved to Detroit. So, um, you know, home is there. My mom's still there. Um, my siblings, most of my siblings are still there, uh, with the exception of one, my baby sister, who, who you know. Um, Sacramento never felt like home to me. Mm-hmm. Even, even now, you know, I'll visit, um, but I always felt most at home in the Bay Area. Interesting. And uh, even now, you know, being a, it was very important for me to move to Detroit. I just knew that this is where I was supposed to be. How'd you know that? Ah, I would say that it's almost kind of like a, a spiritual thing. I grew up, you know, I'm a church boy. And, you know, everybody knows uh, I grew up Church of God of Christ and I loved the Clark sisters and and all of that. Uh, but I always loved uh, Marvin Gaye. Mm. 
Uh, I've always loved the Clark sisters, you know, specifically Twinkie. And, you know, just something about their music. I was always always like there's something in the water in Detroit. So Mm, (laughs) there was something of Detroit that represented home, our soulfulness to me. And so I always felt that I needed to be here. It's very interesting. It's very, very, very interesting. When I first moved here in 97, my initial intent was to be here, uh, do a recording project, like a demo, and move back. And, you know, here we are over 23 years later, and I'm still (laughs) here. And I probably will not live anywhere else uh, other than the Bay Area or bi-coastally. I couldn't see myself living anywhere else but Detroit. That's amazing, man. Yeah. I needed to be here. So you, you you felt like a little soul pull. You're like, hey, I got to be in Detroit. Yeah, I just, I felt, um, and then for a short period of time, and I'm still trying to get the history of it, when I moved here, I didn't grow up with my biological father, and then I found out, these are not tears, these are this allergies, <laughs> just for the record. Uh, um, my biological father lived here for a very short period of time, but I had some aunts that lived here. All of my aunts lived here when I moved here in 97. Really? I did not meet them and that side of my family until I was 25. So I got a chance to meet all of them. And they've all since passed. Okay. But um, I got a chance to meet all of them when I lived here, which was very interesting because I had no clue that they were here. Yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. So yeah. when you came, did you like... Did you like say, let me go find this job? I got a place lined up. Oh, like, man. It was so divine. Um, when I first moved here, I stayed with a cousin who I had uh, recently met when my, my dad passed. Okay. And this, this is so phenomenal how it worked. My sister one day, she called and she said, your dad died and his funeral is tomorrow. It was a Thursday. And so I was thinking she was speaking of my the Kendricks, because Kendricks is my quote unquote stepfather's last okay. name. And so no, she said, Your your real father, you know, William, William Spencer. And I was like, Oh man. And so I was more excited than anything because I hadn't seen the guy, you know, in years uh-huh. since I was probably about ten years old. Oh, wow. So this was a Thursday. The funeral was Friday. So I went from San Francisco to Sacramento to the funeral. There I met, you know, one cousin. Anita, who lived in Detroit, and um, that's when I was introduced to the rest of the family. And so when I decided to move here, which was just a couple of years later, I ended up staying with my cousin. Um, he said, you can stay here till you get yourself together. Within a month, I had my own job that I still have <laughs> and my own apartment that I had You know, within like, I think it was three weeks when I had a job in an apartment. It was absolutely divine. Had you been here before? I came here for the first time in 19, what was it? It was 87. Oh, wow. Um, I was, uh, you know, I'm a church boy, as you know, and so uh, the Church of God in Christ had this national youth convention. My first time uh, going to the convention was, and I was 16, and that was in Houston, Texas. And so I got a job at Kentucky Fried Chicken to save up money so I could go <laughs> the next year, which was here in Detroit, down at the uh, Rinsen. Yeah, so my first time being here, I was 17 years old. Man, yep. you're putting chicken in buckets so you can get these ducks. Yeah, exactly. Man. And I'm, you know, to this day, I'm still not tired of fried chicken. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> 
you know, you know, it's, it's wild. I think I think about um. So like your your food is amazing. We yeah. know y'all don't know this. With me. some of you might, but <laughs> this guy um, in the kitchen, like it's 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 an act of love. Yeah. And you know, I remember the first thing I had, the first food I had from you, I think it was chicken and waffles, and it was mm, yep. one of the yep. early re the early recipes for the waffle that yes. is that has since become probably relative. It's kind of famous in Detroit. <laughs> yeah, you uh. You have more than a small following. Yeah, yeah, for, that's true. <laughs> for your food porn. Yes. <laughs> so, where, where did your love of food come from? Food has always represented a level of comfort, mm -hmm. and it's always represented love. You know, because no matter how tumultuous a house is or a home, you know, when there's food involved, you know, there's always a levity of spirit. It's nourishment, mm -hmm. and. Um, you know, I'm pretty much, uh, I would say, kind of a, a food snob in a sense. But <laughs> but to the degree that I taste love in food. Mm. You can taste when somebody really cares and have selected great ingredients and didn't rush through the process. And, you know, uh, I come from a line of some phenomenal cooks. My great-grandmother, who was born in 1894, we called her Mama Lucy. She had a restaurant in Arkansas back in the 30s. Really? Yeah. And um, she's very well documented. Um, there are a lot of uh, newspaper articles in the San Francisco area back in the 40s and 50s where she would do dinners at home <laughs> and dedicate, you know, donate 100% of the proceeds to like uh, the community chess fund to help the needy, so on and so really? forth. Yeah. And uh, my brother. My oldest brother, Maurice, is a phenomenal cook. Growing up, my mother, she didn't cook much. She's a great cook, but she didn't cook much because she didn't have to. Mm. You know, she had children that could cook. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. So your mom wasn't the main cook in the house? No, she was not. Nope. How did that work out? Man, so one, like, so give, just kind of paint a picture. Like, what's the age range of your siblings? So there are five older siblings. Okay. And then there's a 10-year gap. From the from the youngest of the five to from you, the youngest of the five to me, Whoa. and then I have a sister, two years younger than me, and I have a sister that's eight years younger than me. Yeah, so so it's a lot of y'all, <laughs> yeah, and a whole lot of years. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. What's the yes. gap between the oldest and the youngest? Whew. Okay, so that has to be. Well, my baby sister has nieces. Older than her. <laughs> so I think my oldest brother, I think he's probably, I want to say mid-60s maybe. Okay. And, you know, my baby sister is in the 40-ish. 40-ish? Yeah, yeah. I, maybe, I think about 40. We'll say 39 for her sake. <laughs> she crosses over whenever she crosses over. Right. Exactly, yeah. Man, so you're telling me your mom for about two and a half decades. All her life. <laughs> all her life you know we talked about it you know that's one of the things that was uh probably about maybe four years ago i decided i'll call my mother every single day and uh you know it's it was uh an act of love that i decided to do uh, my oldest sister had at one point taken on the responsibility of being the caretaker for my mother and my dad and I was like, wow. I said, the least I could do is call my mother every day. Yeah. So I've, I called her. You know, we talk every day. 
And, uh, you know, I got a chance to know her as the human being, mm. you know, just uh, and her human experience beyond the role of a mother. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's powerful. I think we all owe our parents that, you know, yeah. if given the opportunity. You There's know? a lot of grace in that experience of oh, coming to yeah. see your parents as people versus just parents. Yeah. Um, I know my, my parents, man, they they uh they let me see behind the veil of the relative you know probably my early teens if not a little bit before mm -hmm. um and that's you know this part of life where you just kind of yeah. you live in and it is what it is you see what you see yeah but they were also very intentional with me about helping me to recognize them as just whole people mm, um, yeah and that i you know i can see the impact on our relationship to this day where yeah. you know we can be friends yes and not just mom or dad and son yeah um, what was it like having that experience to get to know your mom at a more, it sounds like it's a good word, it's a more intimate level. You know, Toni Morrison said, which I thought was so phenomenal when she wrote, uh, I believe it was uh, Song of Solomon, tended to write from the female perspective. And she said when her dad died, she was able to write from the male perspective. She said, because when a person dies, you immediately um, have a more intimate relationship mm -hmm. with them because their persona is out of the way. And I just thought that was so fascinating to explore that yeah. because there is, there's such a finality when, when it comes to death. Yeah. There's no more negotiation. You have to accept what it is. Um, I tried to employ some of that level of appreciation as it related to my mother. Yeah. Um, I did the same thing with my grandmother because I lived with her you know, uh, years before she had passed. And because I was in my 20s and she at that time, I believe late 70s, 80s, I knew how precious it was. Mm. So I savored the moment so much more because I knew that it was precious time. And so my mother, you know, being um, 82, I know um, beyond a shadow of a doubt how precious the time is. Yeah. So um, I do a lot of writing. I've, I wrote, you know, I write a lot of her sayings. There's a lot. She has excellent recall. You know, she just shared with me last night um, when she was a child, five or six, going to her father's uh, grandmother's funeral. Mm -hmm. And you know, so I, you know, I write all of this stuff down because I know how precious it is, not just for uh, me personally, but right. you know, the family and that level of history. You know, so yeah, it's um. It's, it's, it's a beautiful gift, you know, just being able to appreciate her, love on her, uh, respect, and, you know, really see the humanity of your mother. That's, that's, a, that's a beautiful gift to have. You know? So as a gifted individual, yeah. I'm curious, so just, you know, I'm curious, how has that gift of your mom's truth influenced the other parts of your life? It's really inspired me um, to be on my own self-healing journey mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, I can recognize, you know, within my mother uh, and other parts, other family members and, you know, other friends, how we never have the, the tools or the language to really confront certain traumatic events and you know and joyous events as well but there are certain things that happen in life that really completely change your perspective on what life is yeah. you know and what happens if you're able to quote unquote 
confront the boogeyman? <laughs> you know, how does that how does that change the lineage um, of the family? Yeah. Because I could see certain things, I could see patterns. Because this wasn't dealt with in this generation, two and three generations removed, I see the same cycles happening. Wow. And so what if we are able to confront it here? Yeah. And maybe the healing will lead up. Because, you know, um, going back to, to the painting, Honoring the Mother Tongue, mm-hmm. that was one of my very first paintings, which is a depiction, a linear depiction of a mother having her feet washed by her daughters. And behind those daughters are other daughters, their daughters. And behind the woman having her feet washed are her mother, grandmother, and Mm great-grandmother. And that's what inspired that painting, honoring the mother tongue, honoring our mothers, and honoring the lineage and how they're all one of the same. That's beautiful, man. That's... uh, that was a whole inspiration for for that particular painting. Yeah, it's it's funny. I remember when you shared that painting with me. Like, it inspired me. Yeah, like, it's funny you say. I'm so I'm so inspired. I wrote a song about it. When I hear it, here it go. Um, yeah. No, that's that's beautiful, man. It mm. it makes me you know hearing the idea of understanding heritage yeah. as almost like a first step in not just self love, mm. but really about a tool of dismantling um, generational curses and generational obstacles, the things that we often hear people say, you just like your daddy or yeah. that's just like your granddad. Or, yeah, yeah. And we talk about, I mean, I'm a, you know, we say we're individuals, but we don't often see, we don't, we don't often see the influence and the things that are passed down through generations. Mm, yeah. um, and so I appreciate this idea of under, of understanding as kind of like a first line of defense yeah. in helping to change the tide. I'm, I think we had a conversation at some point. We talked about culture as a weapon. Yes, um, a weapon and a tool. Yes, yeah. and so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it now as we talk about this idea of dismantling generational obstacles. Yes, yes, um, yeah. How has culture mm-hmm. and art for you, um, how have they been tools for you? And, yeah. and certainly in how you, how you approach thinking about family and lineage, but also just how you approach thinking about life and the larger cultural conversations? Oh, that's a great question. You're asking some great questions, buddy. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think we have to understand that the future is inextricably tied to the past. Mm. They're they're all one. There's a timelessness. Um, the, The past is not really the past. In that sense, we're living, I mean, the whole structures and the way we're living and who you are and how you walk and your likes and dislikes, your your proclivities, they're, they're not of your own specifically. You know, they are really tied to the past. I mean, how you move in the world, so on and so forth. And having that understanding and uh, art and, and literature has given me uh, language. Mm. You know, um, it's interesting to me, as you know, Paul Lawrence Dunbar is like my favorite. <laughs> he's right. my favorite author. The brother was born in 1872. He died in 1906. He was only 33 years old when he passed. But when I read a lot of his writing and, and his inner thoughts and his vulnerabilities and his take on the world, 
it's so much the same as it was. I mean, the joys, the fears, the the hurts, the the disappointments. They're this. They could be two thousand and twenty one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, it's just phenomenal. Um, it's funny that you know he died that long ago, and he just had a book that came out uh, February 9th. It's called The Literary Letters of Paul Lawrence Dunbar. So it's a lot of his personal letters that he wrote, and you know just his negotiating with. Um, being a young black man who was a, a on a he was an elevator operator, yeah, <laughs> as brilliant as this guy was, yeah. he was an elevator operator, and you know his put, putting himself forward during that time and writing letters and trying to get his his work out. But um, to answer your question, I see that culture is uh, a way in which we interpret the world, and it's a way of thinking. Yeah. You know, art is a way of thinking. Um, literature is a way of thinking. Um, cooking and partaking that whole gift of hospitality, that's a way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And, when, you know, being able to understand that and to be conscious of it, I believe, makes it much more powerful because it, mm-hmm. it's, it's in a timeless place. I mean, there are certain things that I do and that I've been gifted to do. I was like... There's no way in my lifetime I could have no, I mean, I didn't start painting until I was in my late 40s, you right. know, and now, you know, it's, it's being appreciated and, you know, I got it hanging up in public places, so on and so forth. Um, I mean, who teaches you how to sing? Who teaches you how to write? You know, um, even the recipes that I've come up with, it's like, oh, this is not on my own, right? you know, thinking my own knowledge you know these i've been guided you know in in a way so um i believe that culture represents a timeless space it just kind of takes something that's timeless and kind of allows you to see a little glimpse of it you know so that's beautiful man yeah um it's funny like man it's real deep brother (laughs) 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 no um but you know, I I think it's interesting how, you know, when I met you, you were singing and yeah. you were cooking. Yeah. But you, the way you cooked in two thousand five versus <laughs> two thousand ten or fifteen or twenty. Is that when we met? Two thousand five. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. January two thousand five. Wow. I know. Oh. Wow. That's a long oh, time. It's a long time. <laughs> I'll take it though. I, yeah. I appreciate lifelong yeah. friendships. You know. But the way you cooked then versus yeah. five years after when you started. You know, people started asking to asking to pay you yes, to cook, yeah. and then you're having pop up restaurants. Yes, you know, and you started that. You it, guys started that 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 Mother's Day meal. Oh man, that was great. <laughs> yeah, that was a good meal. Yeah, God. you did seven courses that day. Yeah, seven. Yeah, yeah I'm not going to talk about the food because if I do, it's really unfair <laughs> to the rest of you. It was amazing. So, you know, what's it been like evolving? your forms of expression over time mm. and i and i think about that certainly you know i could we could talk about a single medium like food where yeah. it's grown and your palate has grown your capacity yeah. has grown but over time you've also expanded the mediums that you explore mm. what's it been like evolving your artistic expression over time mm. um and how have you kind of fed that that growth it's it's one of those things um i think it's it's the the downside of, of being quote unquote gifted because at a certain point you don't know to take responsibility for the gifting mm. 
because it's so natural. Right. It's been uh, a difficult thing for me. Uh, I remember I had a friend I had cooked for her a couple of years ago, and she said, Darnell, you ought not ever be broke. You know, she said, if anything, <laughs> I was like, hmm, she's right, you know, because um, there's it, it is oftentimes, you know, uh, difficult for me to balance yeah. the gifting with capitalism, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and, and charging the right prices and you know putting the right value or right. it is what I, what I do mm. um the art has been the easiest really because it's tangible mm. okay all of my other gifts are not so tangible they deal with other senses but you know art is a, a product you know it's a it's a painting it's you know it, it could be framed it could be hung so that has uh I'm allowing that to inform the other parts of it interesting but um that's and then there's a responsibility to that as well. Um, I heard Maya Angelou say one time uh, that she's not modest. She said it kind of it was weird. She said I'm not modest at all. I was like, where is this coming from? Where is she going? But she said modesty is like uh, a garment that that falls off when life hits you. She said, I think she said like a G-string from a stripper. <laughs> she said, I am, however, humble. She said, I'm full of humility. Humility says that somebody paved the way for me to be here. Mm. Speaking of the ancestral sure. lineage. And so I must be here and show up in all of my greatness so that I can pave the way for someone else. Yeah. So um, I think at this point in my life, I've been much more conscious about the responsibility associated with the gifts. Mm. And um, that's much more, it's like, I don't know what's going to happen at 70, what I'll be doing then. You know, right. maybe, I don't know. <laughs> you know, maybe I'll be stripping. I don't know. You know, please. please. <laughs> you know, I want to say nobody wants that, but you know what? <laughs> the way you cook, I'm confident that there's some people out there who say, if you give me a waffle and some chicken, you can take off whatever you want to take off. We won't be doing that. You know, we're right about it. But yeah, it's uh I can say more than more than anything, I I've learned to take responsibility yeah. for the gift. More than anything else. I think that that has been the most pronounced for me. That's that's a really powerful concept. Um you know, it's as I think we all, everybody has gifts. Like that is a God thing. We are given gifts and what we do with them is up to us. Mm -hmm. How many we have, like we can talk about the various parables and scriptures that talk about gifting. And um, talents. And talents, right? Yeah. And it's really easy to lean back and say, I do this well yeah. and allow that to just be exactly what it is. Yeah. It's a different thing when you say to take responsibility. Yeah. And when I hear that, let me know if I'm hearing this appropriately. Um, it says, not only am I responsible for the output of my gifts, yeah. uh, meaning, you know, I can wield my gifts as I see fit. Mm -hmm. Example, you have muscles. If I push hard, I'm responsible to, to, to judge the amount of strength yeah. required for whatever pushing I'm doing. Um, but it also means that I might be mindful, be intent, intentional about how I leverage my gifts. Absolutely. And I think the third thing is about intentional, about growing my gifts. Mm -hmm. um, because it's easy to say, like I said, it's easy to say I'm good at something and allow that to just be. Yeah. It's another thing to say, I have a natural proclivity towards something. I have an yeah. affinity towards something. I am gifted in this area. 
and as you said, being being humble about it, mm -hmm. somebody paved the way and allows me to be in this space. Yes. I'm responsible for my gifts and I'm also to a certain degree accountable to the folks who created a pathway for me to actually be able to display my gifts. Yeah. And perhaps I should go deeper to make them better and, and develop them exactly as you see as you see fit. Absolutely. Yeah. So how have you been grooming your gifts? I guess we would have to break them down to each one. You know? Fair. But, fair. Uh, um I think I'm at a I'm at a point what what I'm plugged into, you know, and I think it comes along with, you know, a certain level of maturity. I am conscious of the fact that I'm very much more conscious now than I would have been five or maybe 10 years ago that what it is that I'm doing is going to outlive me. Mm. And 10, 20, 30, 50 years after my death, what it is that I do will possibly be uh analyzed or studied or appreciated by other people. Sure. So I'm kind of at a point right now where, you know, especially when it comes to the food, that's such a natural thing for me that I have been writing down my recipes, you know, a little bit more deliberately. And there's um, a lady, she wrote a book. It's called, um, well, it's two, it's Recipe for Respect. And then there's another one called Aunt Mama Code where she took all of these. Yeah, it's very interesting. She took all of this particular, I think Templeton is the ancient Mama Code. She took a lot of uh, different African-American cooks from, you know, the early, uh, the mid to late 1800s who had wrote books on uh, hospitality and on drinks and sauces and foods and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, how cool to go back and look because there's a sense of, of history there. Yeah. So I think I've been more so um, than refining them. I think because refining is always a process. I'm always guided by the final product. I'm always guided by love. Mm -hmm. I'm always guided by wanting to present excellence. I'm always guided by that. So whatever that means. Sure whatever that experience means and, you know, the feedback that I receive, but more so the documentation. I really, you know, it's easy to do it in art, you know, to a degree because, you know, I've never went to art school, culinary school or anything, but a lot of my art, I was like, man, when I look back at it, I'm like, man, I, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine, like, how did I think to do that? You right. know, <laughs> like with the, uh, with the Mama Lucy, Mama Lucy's bake sale painting, which I named after my great grandmother, when I had it's a, a three foot board, um, 24 by 36, but I knew for some reason the table that I wanted, it had to be absolutely in the center of the painting mm. aesthetically and build around it. So I made a big brown table and that was just something I knew that had to be done. You know, so if someone ever asked me, your eyes immediately go to the table right. and then there are, you know, the figurines, you know, around it. So it's very interesting. Um, that question is a good, good question. I'm always guided by love. I'm mm. always guided by the feeling that I want people to get from it or, mm. or the takeaway. Yeah. I'm always guided by that. Even with, with cooking, one of the interesting things about cooking is the element of surprise. You know, because, you know, a chicken is a chicken is a chicken. But if you, you know, use a kind of a little Asian spice, a little cinnamon or allspice with garlic. It's like, oh, man, now now it's an experience, right. you know. So I'm always guided by that, you know, creating those experiences. That's really cool. I, that, that's actually, 
I'm hungry again. Yeah. Now, thank you. I actually, I'm glad I ate before this one. Otherwise, I'd be mad at you. Um, and it's like I said, it's, it's cool to have seen the evolution yeah. of the forms, um, especially because I think you've I've seen you invest more and more in the cooking and the art in particular. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just in terms of like time and energy. Um, you still I saying, can tell you why. Oh, because the cooking and the art. I'm in total control. It's Ooh. extremely interior. My music requires other people. Interesting. You know, just think about it. Yeah. I, you know, it requires musicians, and, you know, I don't necessarily play. Um, it requires, you know, studio time. Yep. And so I can write and write all day, but unless I have someone else, right? you know, I can't bring it into fruition. But when it comes to my writing, when it comes to my cooking, and when it comes to my art, it's very interior. Mm-hmm. I don't need anyone else for that. I think it's so interesting to hear you say that because, you know, even as we talk about your home, yeah. earlier being a haven for people. Yeah. Um, you're a person who attracts people and you're surrounded by a community. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to hear, you know, these expressions being things that you can control. Yeah. Like where you're not beholden, I guess is the best way, better yeah. way to put it. You're not beholden to someone else's time, at least. Absolutely, um, yeah. So, I got, so I got a couple more questions for you, yeah. man. Uh, so one, just thinking about, you talked about love, love being the center of how you express. And I, yeah. I think it's true for everything we've talked about so far, whether it's going back to lineage, um, the way you em- embrace um, the ancestors in their words. Mm-hmm. It's love's at the center. What is the, what's the message that you want to leave? Like, what is, as you think about your expressions, mm-hmm. if there, is there an overarching theme or unifying message across? I believe that one of the themes is love. <laughs> sure. uh, another that I think is, is extremely important is that we owe a debt. I believe that we all act according to what we are indebted to. And I feel that we have a great debt to those that came before that loved us, that continue mm-hmm. to show up for life, that continue to persevere even in their failings. They still showed up. Yeah. You know, even though they were not quote unquote perfect, they they did the best they could. And that Two is also love. Yeah. And so I feel a huge debt to those that have come before us. And I would like for my work and, and all that I do to always point back to that debt. Who are you indebted to? Mm. And I think it's difficult to really get to that. Yeah. Unless we can name it. Meaning, who is your grandparents? Who are your great-grandparents? What uh, One of the things that was very easy for me as when I was reading Paul Lawrence Dunbar, the Henry Dumar, you know, my other people, is when you, my great-grandmother, like I said, she was born in 1894, which was interesting. It's the same year that my grandfather on my father's side was born. Mm. They were born in 1894. And I, I had talked to him on the phone. I never met him in person. My great-grandmother, I knew. Right. And so I'm like, man, this was their world was like when they were born. So it it allowed me in terms of history to hang my memory on something. 
That's, so that's then you think about they had yeah. grandparents and they had parents and you know and you realize that you're connected to all of that. But I believe that we are all we all have to ask a question, who are we indebted to? Mm-hmm. Why do we do what we what we do or don't do what we do? Sure. You know, so um I would like for everything that I do to encourage and inspire people to to know that we have a huge debt. We have a huge debt. That's good. So that in mind, thinking about you, thinking about the ancestors um, and thinking about the message that you are sharing actively. So today, right now, this moment, I ask everybody this question. Mm -hmm. This right now is the youngest you will ever be again. Yes. Ever. Yes. Right now. Yeah. Right now. Right. And right now. Right. (laughs) Who do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, wow. I want to be a person who has lived courageously. Bottom line, everything falls under that umbrella. You know, you can't just leave it that <laughs> like that. You can't do that to us. Oh man, let's see. <laughs> I want to. I want to. I want to exhaust all of my gifts. I want to be. I want to see some measurable, I want to delve deep, you know, even part of my um, inspiration for wanting to go through therapy and and deal with some sort of healing, which was kind of an interesting thing. I want to go through therapy so I could be an example of how my family could heal Mm. Our, our other families, our other people. So, you know, I'm, I'm interested in dipping beneath the surface of of the water knowing that i can you know i got a anchor to get back up you yeah, know yeah. but um i just want to be more courageous with, with that and everything that i do you know i just want to be i want to be more courageous and um i believe when eric roberson came to the house and yeah. you brought him over and he asked me you know uh send me the question he said you know out of all of your gifts what is it that you want to do that you haven't done yeah and remember my response, which startled me, was I want to be able to live in the moment more. And I feel that there is that of emotional, spiritual healing that allows you to live in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that I do that enough. Sure. And I believe that there's a level of courage that comes along with mm-hmm. that. You understand what I'm saying? So, I do. Um, I just I want to be more courageous. I can't. <laughs> I don't I don't have anything, you know, more more specific than that, you know. I promise you that that was good. Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. Um first of all, I mean, I, you know, I always appreciate your time and being able to spend time with yeah. you. Um you talked man, you talked about what you're trying to. You've got so much going on. It's a yeah. it is a joy to watch and yeah. see the evolution of the man from black to gray. <laughs> um, so as you, as you think about, you know, where you're going and who you're becoming, yeah. um, what are you doing in order to become that man, in this case, more courageous? Mm. And the follow up to that is how can me between me, our listeners and our viewers, mm-hmm. how can we support you on that journey? It's going back to what I, I said earlier. It's very very small thing. I mean, you've been in my home for many years. I bought my house 18 years ago. And uh, 
they had old it's old windows that that are that's in the house. So I got one of the yep. windows in my bedroom replaced. And I was so doggone fascinated because you know the window was replaced because it was old like the box windows. My backyard looks so absolutely beautiful mm-hmm. with the snow. And I took a picture of the sunset, <laughs> and I was like, "I've been here 18 years. I have never seen the sunset." And because wow. I mean, I couldn't see out the window that yeah. way because of the kind of windows it was. So I'm really excited about. I believe we all need that temple. We all need that that sanctuary at home. Yeah, we all need that that safe place that we uh, a cathedral, if you will. You yeah. know, uh, uh, and so I really want to continue to create that space in my home, in my world. And I think that, you know, how people can do that or, you know, how they can support our, our, our help, not just me specifically, but be conscious enough to, no matter how crazy the world is, you should be able to come home to peace. Mm. You should be able to come home to, to love. I started collecting African-American literature a few years ago. And I don't know if you've been over to the house, but I have a whole bookcase of, oh, yeah, you've been here. So uh, I want my home, you know, to become a a cafe slash library slash museum, you Mm, know, slash. So no matter where I go in the world and visit, and I do plan on doing some more traveling when the world opens back up. But I want to bring those beautiful experiences back home. Mm. You know, I really want to, uh, that backyard, seeing the backyard a couple of weeks ago gave me um, an idea. I'm going to get a privacy fence and I want to do like a, a Japanese garden sort of hook up back there. Like, and, a, zen, you know, like a zen space? Yes, you know, something something Ooh. to that degree. So I believe our joy and our fulfillment is inward. Mm. And, you know, no matter where we go, what our zip code is, if you can't come home, I don't want to have to go to Cancun for for peacefulness. I mean, it's nice. (laughs) Europe is nice. Jamaica is nice. But I want to bring those experiences back home. And I I really want to do that more intentionally, more deliberately. Um, I want people from Cancun or New York or California to want to come to my house. Mm. And have a desire to come there and get away. Well, if I show some of the pictures of your food in this podcast, they might be trying to come to your house anyway. <laughs> yeah, I just did a dinner for uh, Valentine's Day. Nice. Yeah, I did a Valentine's Day dinner, and yeah, yeah I'm I'm excited though. I'm I'm excited about I'm I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about now. You know, I'm excited about the creating from the inside out. I really am. Man, I really am. That is inspiring. I, you you see. You, you have plucked a lot of strings here for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. The idea of creating from the inside out. I've been yeah. doing some reading, uh, lots of reading lately. And this idea of our ability, you know, our the accountability of owning our peace. Yes, um, yes, yes. Of owning our beings. Yes, yeah. Um, I'm a person who believes in self-reflection. Like that moment in the mirror is always the most important moment yeah. when you stare back and say, who am I? Yes. Um, and, and, and coming to accept who you are and embrace it. Yes. Um, but the next level is the, the level of accountability yeah. of owning self, not just recognizing, but now owning yeah. and then taking ownership. Now taking action yeah. um, to, you know, how do you cultivate peace inwardly first yeah. and then allowing that peace to 
I'm just going to say ooze out. Ooze. <laughs> ooze is a, it's such a funny, funny word to say. But illuminate. That, illu- to, it's a great word to illuminate yeah. so that when you walk, yeah. you know, it's not about you having to say or touch or yeah. do. Right. It yeah. just radiates from you. Right. Um, and so I appreciate that. And I'm, I will be carrying that with me. Yes. So, man, thank you so much. I appreciate you your time. This is great. Um, yeah. Oh, man. We could do this. I, I've got a million other questions that have yeah. been sparked by this conversation, but I will allow us to put a, pu- a piece of punctuation here. That's cool. Um, anything else you want to leave us with? No, I, I really appreciate this opportunity. I love that you're doing this. This is amazing. This is like one of our regular conversations. It, 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 I, I told you we're just going to sit down and have a conversation. Yeah. And imagine all the things we could have talked about. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know what? I haven't done this with anybody else. I'm probably going to invite you back. Okay. Um, I'm going to invite other people back, too, because yeah. we've had great guests. Yeah. Um, I am curious about a, a deeper conversation about how we can apply art as a tool mm-hmm. to bring about healing and help folks grow. Hmm. Yeah. But that's for a later episode. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I got some ideas already. I bet you do. (laughs) All right. That being said, we are signing off. Thank you so much, Darnell. Appreciate you. you. All right. Thank you. All right. You've been tuned in to Becoming Better with Jeff Ponders. Special thank you to our guests for this episode and to our partners, Mammoth Studios and The Cochran House. We appreciate you for joining us on this journey toward a better life from the inside out. See you soon.